Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Lai Fong is regarded as the most important Chinese photographer of the 19th century. He had a studio here and was admired by his peers and competitors for his truly artistic eye and technical ability. His album and prints taken from the 1860s onwards show then Canton, Macau and Hong Kong in landscape panoramas. There are junks in the harbour that give a sense of an environment unchanged for hundreds of years. At his studio, he would take both stage shots of actors to sell, as well as commissioned portraits, including for one of the governors, Sir Arthur Kennedy. Lai Fong would have several Western photographers working for him during his career, as well as a Portuguese administrator. He also bought the work of other photographers to sell, including portraits by American photographer Milton Miller. Antiquarian dealer Jonathan Wattis of Wattis Fine Art is currently showing an exhibition of Arfong's work at his gallery on Hollywood Road. I asked him what he particularly liked about Arfong's work. I like the quality of his work. I also think that he could take very beautiful photographs in the right environment. So particularly when he goes out into the country, he takes lovely landscapes and he plays with light in the Canton River. His views in the Canton River that we see in this exhibition are very atmospheric. Junks and sampans moored beside the river, and then at this point in this photograph, it's quite flat. The, the water is not that active, so everything is standing still. So you get a sense of the ships and the boats in the river, and then beyond you get the shoreline fairly well delineated. And there's another one here beside it in, in Canton, which is flower boats, which were pleasure boats, all moored side by side by the riverbank. And I imagine this would be quite close to where, you know, the earlier foreign factories were. But Canton was a big city, and he did a a series of photographs around it, which was a wonderful documentary. Yeah, you describe it as this sort of ancient city that he's, he really does capture the, the fact that it hasn't changed much. And he frames his... He's, he's quite an artist in the way that he frames his photographs. Yes, he's, he is an artist in the way he frames it. And he uses all sorts of clever use with light and, and shadow. So in some pictures later on, we can see he's also played with a developing or someone in the studio has. So he will he will develop it in such a way that some features stand out in one picture and in another one you lose the definition and then maybe the buildings stand out instead. So he does a mix of, uh, as you say, you've got the series on Canton, which is very valuable for showing, um, you know, what would later, I mean, change quite quickly, I would have imagined, aspects of Canton. Well, I think the aspects of Canton that really changed were more 20th century, but uh, I think that when you look at pictures like this, Although a lot of it was built out of wood and, and these sampans were probably rebuilt every 50 years or whatever and, and junks, you know, it probably hadn't changed much in 1,000 or yeah. 2,000 years, even though it was changing every 100, 200 years because they were rebuilding, but it was probably rebuilding a very similar thing. Lai Arfong, he would have gone out with a camera himself or would he have had a couple of assistants alongside? I imagine he would have had to have assistants because the camera itself was very heavy equipment and also the, the crowds of people. So I imagine he would have had to have a couple of assistants. But we don't have any, or well, I haven't seen any documentary of evidence of him out in the field, as it were, with his assistants. Yeah, no, that would be useful. No? No, the only <laughs> Find portrait, a little diary. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The only portrait I'm aware of is a head and shoulders shot. I think the National Library of Scotland has, has a copy of that. And he looks very young. He, he's one of those 
people, he's, he's, he's in a hat and he's quite round-faced and he looks about 20, but he's probably 40, you know. He doesn't live a long life. He dies at the age of 51, but then his son takes over the business uh, right up until the 1940s. And what was interesting reading about Mr Alfong was that he had Mr Rosario, a Portuguese, working for him, doing his administration. And then he had a number of Western photographers working directly for him as well. He did. When he started out working in the 1860s, that we know that he worked for a Western, or Portuguese actually, Silveira and co, photographer in the 1860s. And he was probably a colleague of William Pryor Floyd, who was another photographer of his era, who was actually ended up being a competitor. And they were working together. So I think that, that maybe when he was working there, he was learning techniques and he was learning about how to develop and how to take studio photographs and how to go out in the field and take photographs. So he was going through an, a certain apprenticeship, we feel, at this time in the 1860s. The 1860s is very important for his formulation of style and ideas. He was then probably used to working with foreigners, as it were, and then when he started his studio, he, it, for him it was quite important to have someone like that working with him. We've got the landscape shot, so we've got him outside, but he's also got studio shots. Yes, he got very professional in, in the way he took his uh, studio pictures, and he would have done pictures with models in the studio. So these were sort of contrived pictures so here we have this beautiful picture which is called it's number 617 it's female musicians and singers of Fuzhou and it's exquisite and the caption I must read you the caption female musicians and singers of Fuzhou the instruments which they play upon have each one string only so we had a client phoned up and said, in your catalogue, it says, each have one string only. One of them has two. So captions are not necessarily always right, but they are exquisite. These four ladies sitting at chairs around a table with these different Chinese instruments. So uh, why have they only got one string? Is that just because it's for photographic? <laughs> Do you want to buy too much cat girl? <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a specialist in, 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 in these types of, of instrument, but I'm sure there is a reason for it, mm. but I, I, it's, a, it's beyond me. I have to say, with all your detective work, Jonathan, it's a, it's a fascinating world with all of these different photographs, but I, I could imagine that you also have to be quite disciplined about moving on from each photograph because there's so many questions on each. There really. are so many questions on each. And also what they wear. Uh, what they wear, and, and this... I mean, their costumes in this are beautiful, and in this one, if you look at their feet, they've actually got regular-sized feet. Yes, you're right. Also, another thing that you look at with these studio photographs is the carpet because we get n numerous portraits over the years and the carpet often can help you oh, yes. define which studio it yes. was from. So there would be other Chinese studios doing these portraits and if, if you don't know who did what, the, the carpet can help you if you can eventually attribute something. So we always look at the carpet as well. Number 432, A Quiet Spot. We here introduce one of those charming nooks that abound on the island. The small wooden bridge spanning the rocky ravine leads to the racket court, and the distance is filled in with a peak of the Victoria Hills. Curiosity has prompted a native to station himself on the bridge, for such is their repugnance to be photographed that his portrait could be had for the asking, and a previous knowledge that he would embellish the view by his figure would have prompted him to a precipitate retreat. Thank you. 
And I have to say, my personal preference, I mean, I think uh, the photos of old Canton are phenomenal. The landscape are brilliant. And we're going to have a look in a moment and, and how they you know, are... Uh, uh, what's the official photographic term? But they look like triptychs. What, what do we call them photographically? Well, they, they are triptychs, but, but they're panoramas. But they were produced way before the panoramic camera was invented. So they had to take picture one by one, one and then another and then another. And they don't marry very well, but they marry and it gives a good example. So it's an almost panorama. And for its time, it's absolutely brilliant what it records. But actually, going back to the studios and the photography as as a business, what we've got is he stages it with models and then people write these rather decorative floral captions. And you've got another one over here showing Cantonese amateur musicians and this is five men with different instruments. And on the other wall over there we have various groups as well. That was him staging photographs to be taken, to be printed out and sold for people who would then come to his studio. The other side was the portraits... Now, the people could go into the studio and have their portrait taken. If you go over here, this is called a cabinet card. Here we have a Scottish Freemason with all the jewels and regalia on him. He's a man of rank, and he's standing with one arm over a chair, another hand on the Bible, and he looks rather good with his sideburns, uh, side whiskers and moustache. On this side, you have this album in print of him and on the other side you have this wonderful printed card oh very decorative which which has by appointment to sir arthur kennedy and his royal highness prince alexis who was a russian aristocrat who came to hong kong in the early 1870s and basically i think this is between sort of 1872 and 1876 78 this patronage went on and and so it, it you got people coming in to have these cards made. So typically you would pose for the portrait and you would order five or ten. So you'd get five cards and your portrait would be stuck on one of these cards and you would have five or ten of them to pick up at a later date. You also had these little cards, which were much smaller again, which were called carte de visite, which were again portraits. So it's a bit like going in and have a passport photo. You know, you get four or six in a grouping. Well, this one they would do one and then stick it on, on the carte de visite and you would probably order ten or maybe two lots of ten and then you could send them to your relatives or something. But it, it's quite interesting to see this is a commercial side to the business where they are actually day by day you can walk in and order your, your photographs. It's rather fascinating. These are much smaller looking at uh, these photographs and wondering who these people are. Some men are hairier than others. They've got great big bushy moustaches and sideburns, others with beards. And some young men who are completely clean shaven and you sort of wonder when you're looking at those whether these are business people, army the one could easily be a police officer, I think, with the chain there. I don't know. Or army. Some of them do have notes on the back. So, for instance, this one, Captain M. Doughty, 10th Regiment. And this is a William Pryor Floyd card, who was a contemporary of Arfong. And here, William Pryor Floyd, Hong Kong. It's an oval, and you can see he's wearing his uniform. But it's, it's beautifully taken. He is clean-shaven, which is most unusual, as you say, for the people of the day. But I think he would probably be more comfortable than most of the others with their yeah. hairy faces. This, this is a collection of carte de visite that I bought from a dealer who'd acquired them through the Arthur Hacker estate. And yeah. so these actually belong to Arthur Hacker. Oh, wow. So this group here had probably been in Hong Kong for 30 years 
before they moved abroad, and then I bought them and brought them back again as a collection. Arthur, Arthur Hacker was uh, a long-term resident of Hong Kong. He was also a supreme illustrator and artist. He and historian. It, yes, and designed a lot of books. Yeah, yes. wrote, wrote uh, a number of books. And yes, he, and he also had an enormous amount of personal collection yes. of photographs and other items. Which were totally fascinating and, and covered a wide field, but basically Hong Kong and China was his main collecting area. And these cartes de visite are very interesting. There's 15 here, and I think about five or six of them are Fong, and the other ones are photographers working at a similar time. Now, Scottish photographer John Thompson, who was working at a similar time to Arfong, he was very admiring of, of Arfong's work. He was. He wrote a lot, John Thompson. He not only took really good photographs and travelled extensively in China, possibly doing the first photographic documentary of China and then writing around it, but he wrote well. And he, he writes in his books about Arfong being highly talented, with a very good eye, someone who appreciated the artistic merits of photography and could do really good work. And he was a great fan of Arfong's in, in his writing. And that's good because we have reference there, because not many people wrote about Arfong. John Thompson held Afong in high regard. He wrote, Afong is a man of cultivated taste and imbued with a wonderful appreciation of art. Judging by his portfolios of photographs, he must be an ardent admirer of the beautiful in nature. For some of his pictures, besides being extremely well executed, are remarkable for their artistic choice of position. And John Thompson was a competitor. So there were two main competitors, Western competitors at the same time as Arfong, and that was William Pryor Floyd, who had previously worked with him at Silvera & Co. And then Floyd took over Silvera & Co. on Queen's Road, almost next door to where Arfong set up. And nearby, on the Queen's Road, was John Thompson. So if you say between 1870 and 1872, the three of them were very close to each other and all competing furiously for a few years. I think after 1872-73, John Thompson goes back to London, and in 1875, William Pryor Floyd goes to Manila and then back to Europe. So this period of competition was, say, five or six years. That's probably quite healthy. Very healthy, because they were all producing uh, good, good work, and I bet Arfong was undercutting them in price. Yeah. We've mentioned them already, but Mr. Arfong, he also had two major clients that he tended to put on, on his publicity and were also mentioned in the China Mail in an advert. Yes, that was Sir Arthur Kennedy, the governor of Hong Kong, and Prince uh, Alexis of Russia. And by having them as major clients and their patronage, which he could put on his cards, was a very good marketing tool, branding, if you like. I called it branding because you've got this beautiful back to these cards which is this sort of calligraphic fantasy with his name Arfong on it. It was beautifully designed, and I discovered that they were actually printed in Paris, and that must have taken some time to do, have them printed, the backs for these cards. 
and imagine it would take at least a year to go to Paris and be printed up and designed and then come back. Whether it was designed here or in Paris, we don't know, but maybe it was designed here and then the proofs were sent to Paris to be printed and then came back here. But it's a beautiful piece of printing on the back. And the backs of some of these cabinet cards for a number of studios who are also very beautiful, not just the Arfong, but I think Arfong's among the most beautiful. The other one is Pun Lun, who was another photographer who had a studio in Pottinger Street. His, the backs of his cards are very artistic as well. Yeah. Behind us, we've got those panoramas that we were talking about earlier. So this ability by the photographer, for better or for worse, to be able to move the camera around and take about three shots and then stick them together. What were they used for? I mean, why would somebody buy that? To put on the wall or...? I think a number of these photographs when they were printed up were put into albums and the nature of photography makes them very sensitive so by keeping them in albums you're protecting them from sunlight and so mostly for albums this is what Hong Kong looked like this is what Macau looked like and uh, you take it back to England or America or Europe and you you can open it up from time to time and and remember what it looked like I don't think you would actually necessarily put them on walls because of the sensitivity of them but you could do and maybe some people did. And so do you occasionally, with your work sourcing material, do you occasionally find that you have a middle bit and then you're waiting for, prospectively, the left bit or the right bit to appear? That's happened with a number of things <laughs> over the years. Uh, and, it, you know, it's one of those things that... Uh, I, I completed that with a map recently and uh, it took me nearly 12 years to find the other half. But I knew it would turn up just because of the nature of that being printed in so many quantities. With photographs, I think it would be very, very difficult to find that. But having said that, now that we've been doing this for over 30 years and collecting these, you actually get a sense of what is the more likely panorama you'll find. So you, you've had more of them than others. We're looking over here at uh, Panorama of Macau from Penha Hill, and that's uh, circa 1872, and this is Lai Arfong, and then the other one is the panorama of the town and harbour, and this is Hong Kong, uh, seen from the gap, so ma- what, magazine gap? I think it's, it's somewhere up the old Peak Road. So and That's uh, circa 1886, album and print. Yes, it's, it's amazing the detail. You go to the central panel, you're looking down onto Cane Road and Central Police Station and the prison. Here's the prison. You can see the central octagonal tower of the prison here, which is now the big, the big news at the moment because it's just opened as Taekwun, hasn't it? But I think so much of this was destroyed. And all the roofs. And all the roofs. So you're looking at Core Central mm. in the central panel. What I find extraordinary about these album and prints is there's so superb detail. I don't think that we've moved that far forward in 100 years because it's just the detail here. I think, you know, if I were now to re-photograph that and really blow it up and blow it up and blow it up, the amount that you can see virtually peering into every window and every roof tile, you know, and all the masts in the harbour. It's, uh... Absolutely. You're right. And, and the quality of the the actual printing was phenomenal. This one at the top is, is a three-sheet panorama of Macau, and it was taken in about 1875 by Ar and it is basically a view from more or less what's the back of the Bella Vista, looking through central Macau, looking north. No casinos there. Well, not that we can see. <laughs> no, no, none with the neon flashing lights. Yeah. We can see to the right the Praia Grande and Peña Hill, and to the left we can see Green Island and the inner waterways to, to Canton. And, of course, looking at this one below of the panorama of Hong Kong town, what we're looking at at 1886, you can see these very mm. dense roofs mm. all together, so sort of very narrow alleyways and streets. Now, a lot of that would be removed shortly afterwards. So this is 1886, and we have, of course, the bubonic plague striking Hong Kong 
1894. Yes, and so that would change, say, the left channel, which is Taiping Shan and going towards Kennedy Town, and that area of town would change a lot. But one of the keys to this photograph, where we can date it, there are two buildings here which are interesting. One is the Hong Kong Bank, which had just been completed in 1886, and the other one is the Union Church, which was on Staunton Street, and it was moved brick by brick in 1887 to beside the Peak Tram on Kennedy Road. And so there is a Union Church there. That's where they moved that. So you get these early Peak Tram photographs with the Union Church, oh, which was formerly in this area. That's incredible, Green isn't it? Moving yeah. an entire building. Number 537, Summit of the Peak. This is the highest point of the island of Hong Kong and is not far short of 1,800 feet above the sea. Its elevation and openness to the breeze gives it the advantage of a climate a few degrees less oppressive than that of the town, and it is constantly having fresh bungalows added to its increasing pretensions of being a sanitive suburb. I'm talking with Jonathan Wattis of Wattis Fine Art, which is at the bottom of Old Bailey Street on the corner with Hollywood Road. And Jonathan's got an exhibition, Ah Fong, a photographer in Hong Kong, a collection of original album and prints of Hong Kong, Canton, and Macau, and from circa 1860 to 1890. And the exhibition is on until the 21st of July. What we're looking at here. Are they sort of first-generation prints of Arfong and、uh, Milton Miller? Most of the Arfong photographs we have, we believe they are first-generation prints. There are one or two that might not be. So, if we went back to the Scottish carte de visite of the Scottish Freemason, for some reason we can't blow up his. His jewels, all his wonderful emblems. So I'm thinking that might be a second generation, but it may be. You know, when you do have five or ten prints, they lose something in terms of the definition. But some, most of the pictures we have、um, are first generation Arfongs,、um, and I'm always asked that by people: Can you be sure? But you can never be sure. And there are there are two pictures I have over here. Shall I show them to you? And it's number six hundred, the mode of conveyances at Hong Kong. And here you have a number of means of transport, and they are sedan chairs. One of them is a mountain chair. I think one is a city chair, and then you have a rickshaw. And they are on the waterfront or prior, and they are outside City Hall, and beside it is Wardley House. This is the first. Generation of Hong Kong Bank, and it was in there from the 1860s, mid 1860s, through till the other building was built in 1886. So this dates this to probably about 1880 because it's the earlier incarnation of the bank building, which is half of this Wardley House here. But in this particular photograph, it's been printed in such a way that you see more about the buildings behind.、Yes. So the figures in the foreground are very dark. And you, you don't really take them in very well. But behind, you've got all these wonderful Hongs. These are major trading houses, which are on the waterfront, all with flags flying. So it's kind of emphasised the architecture in this one. So this is interesting. And then if you go to the other one, we have we have two of the same. He's done the opposite、ah. way round. And this one actually features much more. There's a contrast in the people. In the conveyances, all the people who are being held up and the people who are carrying—it's almost a different picture. But it's, it's interesting how he's played with the developing. I love also sometimes in the street scenes where you'll have a hawker or you have a child who is just poking his or her head around the balustrade, and they are just caught in that moment,、yes. and their slight blur,、yes. and it's like almost their life passing too. Yes. 
And when you get a picture like one of the ones we used on our invitation was a view of Wellington Street. And there is a child right in the middle, foreground. But I suspect that he's been given some cash to stand there and <laughs> give pose it some depth. <laughs> and give it some depth of field. And they're all his mates on the right, probably ribbing him, in the, just poking their heads in. They want to get left out, right in the right-hand corner, looking as well. And you've got all the poles of laundry going across. And you've got <laughs> sedan chairs parked, like taxis on the side. And you've even got a rickshaw on the right, which will date the picture. We believe that the earliest rickshaw was 1874, so you date things later than that. But I also date this to the 1880s. And what happens with this photograph is that at this particular time, there's a chap called D.K. Griffith, David Knox Griffith, who'd come from Shanghai to work with Ah Fong in Hong Kong, experienced photographer. And I wonder if this was taken by Griffith working for Ah Fong. I don't know. And I don't know who will be able to tell me that. But he's, he's at this, it's an Ah Fong label, it's an Ah Fong photograph, which maybe he was taken by Griffith or Ah Fong. Number 656, small-footed maidens of Amoy, whose feet are the surest darts with which even the strongest heart of a celestial lover can be assailed. As you enter your gallery, Jonathan, in fact, you've got uh, a photograph and a painting of a very similar or same subject. Yes, uh, this is a flower boat or pleasure boat near Canton. And it's quite an uh, raises quite an interesting question, because on the left is an oil painting by Nam Chong, who was a famous Chinese painter, who said, had a studio in Wampoa, which is the the port going up towards uh, Canton, and he then moved his studio down to Hong Kong, and set up in about 1870. And where did he set up? He set up at Number Seventy Queens Road. Now. Afong was at number 54 Queen's Road, so they were neighbours. And you wonder if the photographers were influenced by the painters. And I think to a degree there would be that influence. So the subjects that the painters had been doing would then become the subjects that the photographers would do. So whereas before you could go into a, a studio in Queen's Road and buy a portrait of a ship with Hong Kong behind or you could commission a portrait of your ship in the harbour with Hong Kong behind, or you could buy junks in Canton, or in this case a flower boat in Canton. Then the photographer could offer an alternative. And so instead of paying $50, maybe you were paying $3 or something. You know, it would be much cheaper. I don't know quite the pricing of it, but it would be much easier to carry home and much less expensive. So would the painter have known the photographer? Well, this is the thing. I wonder if they knew each other. What we have is them... Uh, on the Queen's Road, and there's this wonderful photograph here on the Queen's Road in 1872-73, and you've got sedan chairs parked down the side of the road, and you've got all these shop signs, and then if you look to the left, you've got Nam Chong from Wampoa, and this is number 70, Queen's Road, and a couple of doors along, and there's Pottinger Street going up. So he's very close to the corner of Pottinger Street, not far between where you know, Pottinger Street is today and the old Lane Crawford building. And so it's quite possible they knew each other and influenced each other. So the painters influenced the photographers and maybe the photographers influenced the painters. Here at What Is Fine Art, you are running a business, of course, but when you actually put an exhibition together like this, what are you hoping that, that when, when somebody comes around to view these photographs, what, what sort of aspects of our fong are they going to be taking away? 
Well, hopefully they will get to see that in an era where everyone has a camera in their smartphone, everyone takes photographs, and those who are really keen can buy their own cameras and work with photography. There was an era where this was all created. It all started really in the mid-19th century, the beginnings of photography, 1830s, 40s. You get daguerreotypes, you, you get various people in, in France and England starting to take photography in different ways. And by the 1860s in Hong Kong, the album in print was in use and was available to buy from photographic studios. People had started taking photographs with these big box cameras. What had been before artist studios in the Queen's Road, then became artist studios and photographic studios. This is the origins. This is how it started. This is how people started taking photography. So people take away with them, this is where it came from. This is how, you know, today we have our, our smartphone, but this is how it started. My thanks to antiquarian dealer Jonathan Wattis of Wattis Fine Art. You can see the work of Lai Arfong at the gallery in Hollywood Road. The exhibition is on until July the 21st. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.